Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good morning. Uh, it is, uh, depending on what part of the world you're in, because we have people on the show from all over the place this morning. It's Monday morning, uh, July 10th. And at least in uh, in Oklahoma, where I live, it's still kind of bright and early at 10 a.m. Uh, <laughs> uh, so this is Michael Vandervoort, and I got my co-host also in Central Time, Robin Schooling. Robin, how's it going in Louisiana today? It is going. It's hot, as always. I am recovering from the weekend of fun and also uh, trying to pull myself away from my phone because I'm like knee deep into threads since yeah you know, yeah day threads one is, threads has been amazing and they they're feeding my uh they keep putting alerts up and people are actually talking to me so it's kind of weird i'm not used to getting that, that live interaction on uh, on twitter so threads is different we'll, we'll maybe we'll do a show about threads one of these days but not today um anyway great so you guys are in the heat dome in louisiana that the the weather phenomenon where it's driving everything up into triple digits so i we're just above that thank god it's only going to be 98 here today uh, <laughs> not sure what the temperature is like in germany but that's where our guest is our guest today is patrick simon from mckinsey simon patrick welcome to drive through hr how are you doing in germany and how hot is it or cold there well, thanks for having me, Robin and Michael. It's a pleasure to be with you. We did have a pretty hot weekend that ended with a big thunderstorm last night. So we're in the we're in the high 90s, which is pretty hot by German standards. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's been a number of years since I've been to Germany, but if it had been 90, I would have, I'm pretty sure I would have melted. So because because you guys don't have the uh you guys don't have the air conditioning that we live for here in the US, and you guys also don't have the ice machines with giant uh containers of soda that, that we used true. to cool off. <laughs> anyway, you have them, but it's not cultural. Anyway, so that's not what we're here to talk about, heat or soda or anything else. Um, for, so let's really get started with the show. Patrick, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to our listeners? Tell us who you are and what you do. Sure. Uh, I'm Patrick Simon. I'm a senior partner with McKinsey & Company, have been with McKinsey for 17 years. Uh, I'm based out of Berlin, but spent a lot of years in the U.S. and different, different parts of North America. Um, and I'm one of our co-leaders of what we call the people and organizational performance practice, which essentially deals with any aspect of organizational effectiveness, performance, and health. Uh, and I'm also the lead author of the State of Organizations report. Which is essentially what we're going to talk about today. And I think Robin's got a question for you. Yeah, yeah. And um, and and we'll most certainly have the link in um the show page um, so folks can go download the report, which I've started to dive into myself. Um, so you recently co-authored this report, Patrick. Um, tell us a little bit, you know, real high level, I guess, and we'll dive down a little further, but, um, you know, tell us about the purpose of the report um, and, and what you identify really in this state of organizations here in 2023 as as the most significant challenges that organizations are facing, especially obviously tied around talent and all the components of that. 
Sure, uh, very happy to. So uh, about a year ago, uh, it occurred to us that the type of questions that CHROs and CEOs and other members of the C-suite started to ask us had gone through a pretty foundational tectonic shift in, in the type of questions we were being asked. So, you know, we've, we've always been doing a lot of work with organizations around roles and responsibilities, organizational design, clarifying elements of the matrix, agility. So we've always been privileged to, you know, get asked really, really interesting questions. But especially last year, with an accumulation of COVID, a new dynamic of the East and the West, inflation, questions of net zero sustainability, CEOs started to ask us truly foundational questions in, in terms of what will our organization look like in five years from now? How can we actually cope with the rate of change that we're seeing in the environment? Uh, employees are leaving us. They have a different idea of what the contract should look like between them and us. How do we deal with that? And all of that taken together, there was a significant appetite to design what, what I would refer to as a compass, a compass for CEOs and CHROs in terms of what are the biggest shifts that are going to create organizational capital in the next years. And so we started this piece of research. We asked 2,500 leaders from around the world, from different industries, different continents, in terms of what are their organizational priorities. And we condensed all of that into, into 10 shifts that will explain the most important change going forward. Now, at a high level, I'll try to condense this to two, actually, so I won't bother you with, <laughs> bother you with 10. Um, in, in a world with many unknown unknowns, with such a, a level of change that it's hard to predict what's coming, the two that are most important are number one, speed, hmm. and number two, talent. Probably those won't surprise you, right? They, they've been around, but just the consistency with which leaders have come back to tell us we don't know exactly what's coming, so we got to be fast, and we're taking action on speed at a level that we've not done before is surprising. And secondly, placing talent at the center, because only organizations that have the best talent will actually be able to evolve forward, giving so much change that's going on. So those are the two most important ones. If you want to take two shifts away, it's speed and, and talent that we're seeing being, being at the top of the list. So when you talk about, this is not my next, like the question on the list we sent you, but when you talk about speed, um, what, what is it, like, how do you define that? What is that just with, in everything within the organization, having to be agile? Um, what, what does that look like? Yeah, um, it's, it's a really great question, Michael. So the, the way I would define it, speed is the time it takes until a signal in the market outside the organization travels through to a decision maker in the organization and travels back as a reaction to the market, right? So I've been working with some of the most iconic consumer brands around the world and pre-COVID, for example, they would run on five-page job descriptions, which would detail exactly what every role would need to kind of fulfill with KPIs and so on. And when COVID came, they got rid of those for a couple of months or even for a year or so. Mm -hmm. And instead, they just got together every morning looked at what are the most important priorities that we need to deal with. Obviously, during COVID, there were many changing priorities and just put our best talent on this, our best and fastest decision makers. So essentially what they did is dismantle excessive structure and hierarchy to reduce the time between signal, decision, and then traveling back as a reaction. And I think the most performant organizations I'm seeing, they took that coming out of a crisis and turned it into a strength by you know, becoming more agile, as you say, becoming less hierarchical, 
empowering the organization and trusting their employees more. That's a, a big piece of the equation. Yeah, that, that's interesting because we kind of did the same experiment with work from home, at least here in the U.S. I'm not sure what happened in Germany, right? Like it was impossible because we couldn't succeed until yep. we absolutely had to do it. And then it works. And now we're going backwards a bit, you know, where it's like, yeah, this isn't the most optimal, you know, yada, whatever. We're, we're still evolving. Um, but it's kind of the same thing, you know, follow the rules, have a lot of details oh, until it doesn't work anymore and then throw it out. Right. Interesting. Um, exactly. So I know your report focused on the C-suite, but since our, we're predominantly an HR show, kind of a follow-up question off Robin's high level, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be three, but that was the way I set up the question. What were the top three shifts or trends that, that are most likely to impact our listeners, which are largely H and obviously talent you mentioned already. So talent is probably yeah. one of them for sure. Are there others in the HR space that people might want to hear about from your report? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, in, in my world that I'm living in, and I work a lot with CHROs, um, the, the CHRO has become the, the key chief officer in many organizations these days. Um, cause a lot of the, the stuff that we're seeing change in the in the external world requires an organizational answer. So I've actually seen the the bond between CEO and CHRO become a lot stronger. I work with a lot of CEOs that immediately go to the CHRO. I, I work with CHROs that are very proactively offering advice to the entire C-suite. Um, I talk to CHROs that feel a lot of stress because all this uncertainty and leadership is being unloaded onto their shoulders, and people are looking for organizational answers to them, right? Um, so it's really it's the age of the of the CHO and and the the HR departments. Now to your question uh, question, Michael, um, I, I would I would say most of the trends pertain to HR work. So one is around talent, right, and and really developing a different view of how you treat your employees. Mm -hmm. We see especially the younger generation; they just have a different idea of what it means to be employed. They're looking for purpose. They're looking for identity. They're looking for an emotional home. By the way, in our data. Uh, salary has not gone down, so it's still as important, but there's a lot of other stuff that's more important to attract talent. Uh, it's around purpose. It's around all the stuff I just mentioned. And I think the, um, you know, the CHROs, the HR departments typically lead the charge on that. What's the employer value proposition that attract employees? Mm -hmm. um, the second one is around capability building. Uh, it's one of the most astounding numbers in our report is that only 5% of organizations actually say we have the capabilities in place to be successful in the future. Uh, and we know it's hard to, to build capabilities as an adult, right? I, like I try to build a capability every year. Most of the time I fail, either a new sport or sometimes I'm digging into a language and I notice about myself, it's really hard, right? It's like, it's getting more difficult. So mm -hmm. uh, building new capabilities, especially with not enough talent being in the market. Uh, most of my clients, they do internal capability building on digital, right? Because there's not enough digital talent out there. And now they're starting with AI and they're trying yeah. to you know, build the basics on AI and tech, right? So I think that second one is on, on capability building. And then I think the third one where I think speed is, is a part of it is the, the larger organizational culture um, in terms of reactiveness, agility. How do you organize? Do you organize through boxes and lines and, and role descriptions? Or is there a more intuitive understanding of what needs to be done? I'll, I'll give you an example from my firm. I mean, I've been a McKinsey lifer, right, for 17 years now. But but I, I don't think, I, I'm not sure we have role descriptions. It's stuff you learn. It's an intuitive DNA in terms of what needs to get done. 
Um, and and uh, that's that's kind of how we run. That's the field we run on. It's it's a lot more intuitive-based understanding rather than formalistic understanding. So I think these three things, right, leading the charge on talent capability building and organizational culture, speed, and and resilience. I think all of them are smack in the middle of the HR mission. Yeah, they they definitely are. Yeah, like where I work, we're a small small you know less than a twenty people. We have all of our roles and responsibilities on a poster on the wall, right? Like that—that's right. it. I mean, that—that right. that, you know, and, right. and and it works. Um, so it's it's very interesting, and obviously, larger organizations may need something slightly more formal. But yeah, it's very yeah. interesting. Great, thanks for the thanks for that, Robin. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the other um, uh, takeaways from the from the report, and uh, one of the shifts that that report speaks to is around um, leadership and kind of the role of leaders and um, human-centered leadership and, and things of that nature. Um, how have you defined that human-centered leadership? And, and really, um, you know, what are the aspects, what are the attributes that a human-centered leader has and, and why is it important? Yeah. Uh, it, it is key because it links back to the ability to attract and develop talent, right? And the, the way we look at it is that for many years, org design was done irrespective of, you know, humans having to live in the organization, right? And it was kind of, it, it wasn't designed with the humans at the center, but it was designed to fulfill a strategy. That has changed because young talent is a lot more demanding about the place where they want to work. Of course, not in every not in every uh, level of work, but in, in a lot of places, that's that's what's happening. And so placing the human being at the center of the leadership is almost as important as placing your customer at the, at the center of your value proposition. Mm -hmm. um, essentially asking yourself, why does someone want to work here? If someone works here, how can we support her? How can we evolve the talent? How can we provide a home that goes beyond salary and beyond the typical elements of a workplace to keep that person around for a longer period of time because that person will build knowledge and be, will become great at something and you know how can we how can we truly harness that and and hybrid work is one of these things right i think we're having humans tell us we actually don't want to come in for work 5 days a week can we talk about one or two days a week that we can stay at home which obviously is awesome right because you can grab a lunch with your loved ones Maybe when your kid comes home, you, you see them come home from school, you can say hi. So there's a lot of good stuff. And, and we're hearing the new generation very loudly and clearly say, hey, guys, we'd love, we'd love that model. Can you actually accommodate that? Um, again, obviously, there's a, a large chunk of the population in, in production and in facility management and customer service that need to be locally in the action. But there's also a big sliver that could technically work remotely for, uh, for a few days. And what we're seeing is that, as you said earlier, a lot of organizations have a bit of an allergic reaction to that, but there's a few things yeah. they can do to actually make that new model work. And that's exactly one of the questions of, of human-centered leadership. Um, what, are, what are some of the other aspects of human-centered leadership? If, if there's a, like, I, 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 yeah, I'll just stick with that question. Sorry, I was going to expand. But it's not, it's not so, so the one is indeed around the, the, the location of work. Mm -hmm. and another one is around how, how do we see human beings and how do we appreciate them as a part of our organization, right? So 
I think a lot of um, a lot of people are a lot more outspoken about the entirety of their personality. They do not just want to bring a sliver of their personality, but they want to bring the entirety of their personality to the workplace. And sometimes that includes challenges, right? We we've had a, a big chunk of the work population speak out on on mental health, mm-hmm. um, on on questions of is this actually an emotional home? Am I being treated correctly? Do I have a feeling of diversity, equity, and inclusion if I'm from you know a minority group? Um, do I feel this organization is really taking care of me? Is it placing me as a human into uh, into the center of the action? And then a third one, which is um, is, is slightly less philosophical, it's around having the right systems in place. Is my my progress through life, how does that fit into the organization? You know, if I want to take off a few months for family reasons, can I do so? Mm-hmm. Um, is my compensation adaptable? Can I go on a 50% program if I want to, right? So do the systems and the structure actually support support what I'm wanting to do in my life? So I think these are some of the other aspects. In general, if it comes to the leader, the leader needs to develop a more contextual understanding of human beings in their organization. And some leaders are great at that. They're very understanding. And other leaders are sometimes still struggling with that. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, and I think it becomes that leader, and and whether that's the, the senior executive team or whether that's a department leader, let's say, or a line supervisor, right? And it's... um, it's something that's always been a struggle. And I think, you know, anecdotally, what I've heard so often in this last year or so with the whole, uh, you know, come back to the office. No, we don't want to. Well, let's be hybrid. Well, maybe not. And and you still see this where where the leaders are saying, well, we, we want everyone in the office will be more collaborative. And, yeah. and, and, and so then they try to bring some flexibility into it. But the end result is, okay, there's 10 people that are supposed to be collaborating together, but because they're hybrid, half of them are still, they're still working, uh, you know, on a Zoom call or a Teams call or something because half of them are home and half of them are at the office. Why should I go into the office to log in that I could have logged in into a meeting at home type of thing? And, and that ability of the leaders or the managers or whomever, uh, the HR leaders who are making those edicts and and making those determinations, they don't understand, they don't take that time to really dive down into understand where that resistance is coming from and and, and what it really looks like in practice. I, I think that's, and that, but that's gone on for decades, right? Um, but I think yeah. it's, it's so critical now it's not no people don't want to work it's no people don't want to commute yeah yeah that's part of it but it's uh it's people want to work in the optimal way um and in a way that they know is providing more value i'm providing more value to the organization when you give me that flexibility to work in a way i can work best I, th- I think it's very, very well put, Robin. And yeah. um, it's it, it's it's interesting that a lot of companies are also struggling with hybrid work because they're not really able to measure output, but they're only able to measure yeah. input. Yeah. So that's why they still go to kind of who's present, who's on site, yeah. who's actually working. Whereas companies that have gone through the conversation of saying, hey, what's the actual output we're looking for? How yeah. do we measure, right? What are yeah. the... OKRs or whatever system you want to imply, 
typically they're also the better uh, in-person organization because they've gone through that conversation, yes. right? Um, and uh, in, in my experience, I've, I've met few people that want to be 100% remote. Sometimes that's the case. I mean, I'm, I'm working with a, with a company right now that had an issue of finding a CMO because they're in a location people don't want to travel to. Uh -huh. So they're, they're opening up the remote world of the talent equation. And maybe they, they get an amazing person from the US, for example, but that person will be remote, right? So there's a lot of opportunity in that talent equation if you open up to remote recruiting right. and, and, and work. But in, in my experience, the majority of people, they do want to be on site a couple of days a week because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. it's actually a good feeling. You meet your coworkers, you grab lunch together, you can mm -hmm. leave your home, right? Not everyone has the luxury of living in a, in a huge place. So just, you know, these three days uh, on site typically do give people purpose, but they also want the two, the one to two days at home. So that's right. kind of the majority of cases that I'm seeing these days. Yeah, um, Robin and I have both over time worked at home. We both have had opportunities to work at home. And to be honest with you, like after a while, you know, you don't really want to work where you live. And so I would go to like a co-working space just to simply get a different vibe, you know, which I know has nothing to do with your report. But it, but it, it I mean, it, your your comment is spot on. It really is kind of a mix seems to be the the best of both worlds. I was struck this weekend. Uh, this is not on our our list of questions, but I, and it has nothing to do with your report. But I saw a I saw a news story that said that um, in the U.S. weekday weekday afternoon golf outings have increased as a result of people having more flexibility. So the narrative of some of these things, you know, like oh well, the people who have the ability to work from home, they're not actually working; they're golfing, and that's not that's probably not true. And I don't, I don't know if your report studied this at any level, huh. uh, but it, you know, the, it goes to me, it goes back to, they can take Wednesday afternoon to play golf, but they're probably working Wednesday evening or Saturday morning. Exactly. Or something. They're working uh -huh. asynchronously. Yeah, um, they work. So, and, and the, and the flexibility that you talked about, that's part of it. I mean, if I want to golf on a Wednesday when it's, you know, maybe better weather or a less crowded course, or I can get a decent, you know, all these things, right some some people in the employment uh, equation will put a higher premium on that than they will on how much money they make or how fancy their office is or that kind of stuff, right? And employers still have a hard time thinking about that. So it's it's interesting. Um, we're, we're getting close to being towards the end of the, towards the, yeah. end of the, the show here. So I want to kind of wrap up. Um, you had some... Um, you had a couple of examples that, that were cited in, in some of the information that was sent to me when we were scheduling the show. And, and I wondered if you could talk about a couple of the couple of the specific uh, situations that you looked at and sure. how, you know, some successes that people might point to. Yeah. Yeah. So so indeed, we kind of inducted eight, eight companies into what we call the uh, class of 2023, so-called beacon organizations, so organizations that have done particularly well. Um, among them are Lego, Mars, DBS, uh, AIA, Decathlon. So it's so kind of a bunch of companies across across sectors. And if, if you ask me what are the, the top three takeaways, and we, we interviewed both CHROs and CEOs, the fascinating thing is that all of them, irrespective of the industry they're in, if you talk to them, they are a people company. So the, the CEO, both the CEO and the CHO, they would lead with people, with the aspect of people, right? Which is amazing and which is a constant that just goes across industries. I think a second one that was interesting, they all had a strong purpose 
that alluded to something bigger than financial incentives, something you can identify with and and take forward, right? So, so Lego, for example, just creating amazing play experiences for children, for example, and and for adults, mm -hmm. uh, or more that pivoted. Um, and this is just one division, but that pivoted in in pet food from being a pet food producer to a pet care provider. Mm -hmm. including veterinary services and really truly caring about the health and, and well-being of pets right so th th those are magnets of, of narration that draw new talent to the table and, and young talent to the table mm -hmm. and then I think the third one which I thought was interesting typically they had a north star that had some external element the customer for example you know if the customer is moving the organization moves and that that preserves longevity and that's probably the only recipe you, you you know that you need to have in order to just persist through time if you have an external north star that that shows you direction right mm -hmm. and and then lastly across these three and the beacons it's the i think it's the it's the age of hr and and i i think it's not on all of us to kind of reinvent the hr business partner model which i i've always loved and and take that forward and i know dave Ulrich is working on that and many others are right to lead into a more human-centered time of organization and even more human-centered organization. So the, the last thought from the report was that while there is an HR department, every leader needs to almost be an HR department in itself, mm -hmm. in himself or herself, because it's just so, so important these days. Mm -hmm. Dave Ulrich was a guest once upon a time, about, I don't know, seven or eight years ago on Drive3HR. Yeah. It was like, Look, we had four hosts at the time. So we had four people talking to Dave Ulrich because we were all like, oh, Dave Ulrich's going to be. Anyway, so he's, he's, yeah. he's a pretty well-known name in the, in the HR space. So uh, that, was a, that was a fun show. Um, I, 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 Robin, go ahead. I don't know if you had any final questions. Yeah, no, I, I, I just was going to say, you know, I, like I said, I've, I've, I've read through, skimmed, shall I say, thus far the report. But, it, it it's lengthy, but there's a lot of meat in it, and I I like the I, I encourage our listeners to go and download it because I think there's a lot of takeaways, um, no matter the size of your organization. Because yeah, we you know we talk oh here's Mars and whatever, but um, the conclusion, kind of the wrap up of the report, I think is really good because it highlights uh, I think some good takeaways for HR folks and kind of how they can work with their leaders to to focus on. The two things that stood out to me was think about communication and and being you know purposeful and communicating across your organization. Um, and I know one of the companies highlighted in the report is GitLab, who I've always liked for their sort of open source approach to that. Um, so I think that's a good takeaway for HR people. And then also the thought of I think there's learnings in this report on how to think about your organization and kind of culture. And um, I, I believe in the report, you even call it like the health of the organization and understanding it's more than, oh, here's an engagement score and this sort of stuff. HR gets too hung up sometimes on some of these, let's run a survey and do a, get a score type of thing. And, and finding ways to really dive into what does, what is the state of the organization to use the name yeah. of the report, right? Yeah. But you know, taking a look at some of those key attributes and what does the what does a healthy organization look like and how does it what does that look like in your organization? And so I think there's 
no matter the size of your company, I think there's just a lot of a wealth of information in here. Agreed. Yeah, I'm uh, so I'm super happy to 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 be on a show with somebody who's saying it's this is the age of HR, age, yeah. age of HR, and the age Woo-hoo. of the CHRO. Because to be honest with you, that that has not always been the case in our profession, as you and I both well know, Robin, right? It was for yeah. decades. Why can't we get a seat at the table? Well, the table fell on top of us, and now we need to figure out how to lift it up. But anyway, um, not to be on a soapbox. Well, listen, um, <laughs> thanks so much, Patrick, for being our guest. Today. Thanks for it's having me. Great. Uh, yeah. yeah, thanks for joining us from Germany. That was that's always that's always fun. I, I didn't realize that was the case. So uh, I always get nervous about oh well, will all the connections work and everything. Yeah. But it was it was it was mm-hmm. great. Um, I want to uh, so thanks for doing that. I want to offer you opportunity for any final thoughts and also to ask you um, to we'll, well as Robin said we'll put the link to the report in the in the show page. But if people would like to reach out or had questions for you or something, is there some place they can contact you? So if you can kind of wind up with that, that would be great. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you, you find me on the McKinsey.com page under Patrick Simon and also on LinkedIn under Patrick Simon. And I think the the three uh, key takeaways are people, people, people. Mm. Um, and and it's such a it's such a fast fascinating time for the for the profession of HR. And there's yeah. more to come. There's more change going to come. And it'll it'll come at, at moments where we might not expect it. So again, the H of HR is upon us. Yeah, you 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 kind of it was a it, very interesting segue because you you know part of this is driven by COVID, right? And now and you mentioned AI. Yeah. We only talked about it in a like in a sentence, but that's like another huge change coming that HR is going to have to deal with in many many ways that we don't even aren't even thinking about yet. And as you've seen, Michael, we have a quantum computer company mm-hmm. in the beacons, right? So let's see what's going to come from, from that end, right? Uh, if, if there's a breakthrough there, I think the impact will be at, at the same scale of AI or more. Well, w- let's hope Skynet doesn't get us. And with that, I'm going to go ahead and <laughs> end the show. So again, thank you, Patrick, for, for being a guest today on Drive3HR. And we will... Um, we will hopefully talk to you again sometime in the future. We love to have companies like McKinsey on, you know, to share their their info from time to time. And this has been great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Bye. 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 Thanks all. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.